Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus said, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem, where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. Thanks for that, guys. Let me pray. Almighty God, we, uh, we just stand in awe of you. God, we stand in awe of a God who looks at us intently like you did that blind man and restores life, restores hope. God, that you take the things that distract us, that cripple us, that, that cause us to look away from you, God, and you, you bring healing. Sometimes that's, that's physical, sometimes that's spiritual, emotional, mental. But God, you're a God who sees every single one of us. And so I just want to thank you for that this morning. I want to thank you that you have time this morning to stop and to speak to each of us, to impart something into our lives, into our hearts that could forever change us, God. I pray that just like that blind man, we too would leave here worshipping and praising you and that as we go, that others would worship and praise you because of what they see in us. So God, as we open out your word this morning, as we gaze upon your truth, may we know you more, may we be changed by you, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, I've had one of those weeks where uh, a little bit like what we've read here, you sort of experience every sort of facet of the the Christian journey, 
We see in this story, we see Jesus pulling his disciples aside and, and talking about the hard things he's going to face in Jerusalem, only to bring it to that pinnacle of, of resurrected life and the great joy of the resurrection. But for the disciples, it lies on the other side of, of some heartache and some challenge. Then he moves into uh, the encounter with the, with the blind beggar and we see this incredible moment, this man who'd lived, uh, as far as we know, maybe in that, way, in that state his entire life. An incredible, probably destitution and, and uh, just, just very much considered the lowest of low in society and in a moment he encounters Jesus and, and everything changes. That's, that's, that's just this beautiful picture a difficult picture, but a beautiful picture, I believe, of what it is for us to live lives where we are daily encountering Jesus. Over the last couple of weeks, I feel like I've experienced amazing answers to prayer. Things that my wife Casey and I have been wrestling with and praying through, seeing these answers to prayer. Just yesterday, we had a friend of mine come up from from Canberra with his family. We've been friends since we were three years old and for many, many years, you know, I prayed for him to come to know Jesus. And in the last two years, him and his wife have had this an amazing encounter with God and just completely transformed. And so I sat there yesterday having spiritual conversations with someone who I've known my entire life and I've never been able to have those conversations. So you sit there with this sense of just such great joy and appreciation for, for what God does and, and, and the way that all happened and the miraculous and, you know, but... But also we've had, you know, I, I offended someone this week. And when I first found out, I was angry at them. I was like, you know, and then I just went away and I thought, no, hang on, there's something here for me to do. And so I reached out and I, you know, I, I made a decision to sort of humble myself and that was hard. Uh, and we go through these seasons. Uh, just this morning, I found out that someone who I had a loose acquaintance with passed away, young, four young boys. He went missing and they found him this morning. He'd had a medical episode and they, they found him this morning. And uh, again, I didn't know this guy well. He's good friends with friends of mine. I've met him, an amazing man of God, sort of in the prime of his life. And so I was driving here this morning, Casey and I were talking about it, just, just reflecting on, on just that, the fragility of life and how someone healthy and in their, in their peak of life and doing all the right things, both in the eyes of God and the world, just suddenly gone. So it's kind of been like this, this roller coaster. Uh, and, and it's so much like, not just this story in Scripture, but it's so much like uh, all of Scripture, isn't it? There's this real sense that to truly know Jesus is to, is to recognise that, that in this life we're going to face some hardship. To really see and encounter the power, the, um, the life-transforming power of Jesus means that at some point he's going to pull us out of somewhere where we are destitute and crying out for help. So that's sort of where we, where we meet the King today. This is the way of the king that isn't what we kind of want to sign up for. We don't love that there's this, this price to pay. We love the resurrection without the suffering. We love the healing without the blindness. But yet here we find ourselves in this, in this complex interaction with our creator. In this complex interaction in a world that is groaning under the weight of sin.
I don't know how many of you have done uh, so any sort of acting, but I remember in high school I did some drama like, like you, you do, and I remember we used to play this improvisation game. And our drama teacher would, would tell us that we had to, the number one rule, the only rule, was that we couldn't block someone. So we had to, if someone, you know, if there was three or four of us and they were giving an object and they sort of improvised, you weren't allowed to then suddenly change the story on the back of them. You had to actually learn to flow with the story that had come before you. And as I was reading this passage this week and as I was uh, sort of comparing these two stories that we have, we have here, I began to think about the scripts that we all follow and that we all sort of get told from a young age that this is who you are, this is the script that, that you should follow and you shouldn't really block it. The number one rule is that you sort of conform to this script that is put in front of you, whether that's cultural or whether that's, you know, even to do with a postcode or economics or whether that's uh, traditions in your family, whatever it might be, there's sort of a sense that this is the script that your life will follow. And whatever you do, don't block it. Whatever you do, don't try and step outside of your lane. And we see here, we see in this, in this passage that we're looking at in Luke 18, that there is an inherited script, a script inherited by the disciples and a script that is inherited. See, I've already forgot to click. I knew I'd do that. A script inherited by the disciples and a script that is inherited by uh, the blind man and their lives to this point have sort of reflected that script and their responses to Jesus. So these are the two stories sort of side by side. Their responses to Jesus reflect the script that has been handed down to them. There's two common themes that we see between these two passages or, or these two stories that happen one after the other in, in Luke 18 and they are both blindness and faith. So we see both physical blindness but we also see spiritual blindness. We see faith being tested and we see faith being embraced and pursued and faith being this life-changing, life-transforming element. But what we also see we see a, a pattern that is established. Okay, and that pattern begins with listening. And the first thing we see in listening is obviously with the disciples, Jesus said to listen. But what we know in that is that as the passage goes on, for the disciples, the, what, what they listen to more than Jesus in this moment, what blinds them is their expectation of what a Messiah will look like. They don't want to listen to a Messiah who says, we're all going to Jerusalem where I'm going to suffer. That, that for them doesn't fit the narrative, the script of the Messiah that's going to come and overthrow the oppressive Roman government. That doesn't fit their narrative. And so while they are listening to Jesus, they're not necessarily... Uh, Engaging, or, or while they're listening, they're distracted by the crowds of their, uh, their, their, um, their traditions and, and, and all of those sorts of things. And then you can see in the red, uh, in the other story, that when he heard the noise of a crowd going past, oh, good. Awesome. Uh, when he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. And so in the midst of the crowd, we see someone listening to Jesus. 
so that first part of the pattern that is established is, is that both of these narratives involve listening. Every one of our stories involves listening. We're going to unpack that in a moment. But the second thing we see is, is believing. You can see there it says, all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. An invitation to believe what has been written. An invitation to see the fulfilment of the promises and the prophecies of God given to the disciples. And then we see uh, with, the, with the, the blind beggar where he simply believes when Jesus says, what is it that you want from me? He says, Lord, I want to see. He has this deep conviction of who Jesus is and what that means for his life. So in the same way, we see an invitation for belief. We see the, the, um, the blind beggar kind of embracing that invitation for belief and we see some, some scepticism for the followers of Jesus, for the disciples. And then finally, participation. Jesus invites them, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. And then we see once the blind beggar is healed, it says he followed Jesus praising God. This is a pattern that I believe exists in every one of our life, lives. One way or another, whether you're a follower of Jesus or, or, or anything else that you could imagine, we all follow this pattern of listening, believing and participating. In fact, if you go right back to Genesis and that, 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 that tragic moment when, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, you see this same pattern, listening to the words of the enemy, of the serpent, believing that what they say is, 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 is truth and then participating by taking and eating something that they see as pleasurable. This is the pattern of our life, regardless of whether we want it to be or not. So the question that this passage begs, and the question that I want us to consider this morning, is what is it that we listen to? Because the listening, I believe, is the preface for everything else to come. What we truly turn our heart to, it all depends on who and what we listen to. And I believe this is how we discover the way of the king. Learning to discern between good ideas. We've all got good ideas, don't we? But good ideas and God's truth are not always the same thing. So how do we, how do we learn to discern those things? Uh, how do we learn to create quiet moments of seeking God, of, of, of knowing His Word, of allowing His Spirit to minister to us out of His Word and out of times of worship and, and good Christian counsel and allow our ear to be turned to that. See, I believe our understanding of the whole concept of King in our world is, is so far beyond what we read in the Bible. You know, these days the whole idea of King is, you know, tabloid magazines and Harry writing books and people just whinging and whining. It's, it's just, it's something that we can't even comprehend. I don't think too many people take seriously what that concept is in our world today. Yet in this time, the, the invitation or the understanding of kingship is only as valid as the direction in which we point our ear. 
So a king only has the authority that we allow them to, that we allow to listen, to believe, and then to participate. Which I don't think, you know, we talk about with the royal families days, this idea of figureheads and, you know, what, what do they actually, there's all those conversations. And I think what we need to understand is that to truly understand Jesus as our king is to understand where it is that we, we lean in. When the crowd is raging, when it's tumultuous and it's, it's so hard to hear wisdom and it's so hard to hear something that life-giving words, we choose to lean in. We choose to persevere like the blind beggar who cries out only louder when he's told to be quiet. This is the invitation of the people of God that when everything around us is raging, we choose to lean in. I love that, that, that image of, of, of Elijah on that mountain and it talks about him crying out to God and he's in the most desperate emotional, mental state, like his, his, there's, there's, there's scripture that would allude to him even being suicidal. But he leans in and talks about how he's not, that God's voice wasn't in the wind or the fire, but it was that still small whisper. And he leans in. That's the invitation that we have as the people of God. And I would suggest that unless we are willing to lean in, that in fact we are not making a way for the king in our lives. Unless his voice is the one that we, we choose to, to lean into, then perhaps we're kidding ourselves in, in our profession of, of lordship to God. Now let's jump back into, into this story and we see two encounters with Jesus. Is there a button that allows me to go back? Oh yeah, the one that's backwards. Look at that, it's really good. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> but again, we look at these two stories side by side and, uh, and what we have is moments of opportunity. And they're moments of opportunity that you and I are all presented with. Maybe it's in, in, in reading a scripture and, and we have that moment of conviction. In that, in that time, we have an opportunity do we, do we listen to the voice of God and, and enact that, that, I guess, allow God to take us on a journey out of that or do we choose to ignore it? There's, we, we consistently have those moments of opportunity and there's actually a Greek word, word which many of you know uh, called kairos and essentially it, it talks about this moment of time that is so significant that every other moment after that is changed forever. It's this beautiful thing and, and you know, we can talk about in the language of, it's, it's used to kind of understand those moments of God breaking in to our world, those moments of encountering God. And these two uh, situations, the disciples in this blind beggar have these kairos moments where there's this sudden moment where everything from there on out could be forever changed. And it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's an invitation that sometimes we don't take up. And I want us to understand, you know, um, that it's easy to sometimes miss those moments where God is breaking in because of the noise of the crowd, because of the expectations of our own hearts, because of our, our desire for, for, for comfort or, or privilege. It's easy. The story of Jacob in the Old Testament where he, he has that dream and he wakes up and he says, surely the Lord was here and I didn't know it. 
I think that happens to all of us a lot. Where we go through life and we encounter these moments with God and in hindsight we look back and go, wow, God was there working, doing something amazing in that moment, in that time. Did I miss it? And God's grace is, is amazing. And he doesn't just kind of give us one chance to encounter him and move on. Like his word is a, is a daily opportunity, minute by minute opportunity just to, to encounter him. What we're doing here together today is an opportunity to encounter him as we worship together. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to miss these moments. So I thought, so well, we've got this pattern of, of listening, believing and participating. What I really want us to hone in on today is, is listening. Because I think that does set up the premise for everything that comes um, comes after. And so there's three things I want us to look at that I see affecting both the disciples and the, uh, the blind beggar's ability to really listen and then believe and then ultimately to, to participate in the invitation. And the first is our position. Our position. Now, straight off the bat, the disciples and our gentleman friend are both starting in very different places, aren't they? The disciples are in the crowd. They're part of the crowd. They're part of, while there's, yet yeah, there's people who, you know, would, would not like them, they're, they're actually quite prestigious in that moment in history. They're walking with this guy called Jesus. They're known, they're celebrated, they're, they're sort of in the in crowd. And then you've got the absolute other end of the, the societal sort of cultural structure is this blind beggar who's sitting by the side of the road who in fact the crowd says, and we don't know if it was a disciple or just someone else in the crowd, but he's told to be quiet. It's tragic really. And so you can see, you know, the, the intentionality even. Um, you know, it says that Jesus pulled the disciples uh, together uh, and, and he, he spoke to them he, and, then, and there's this like privileged position even in their, their conversations with God at that point, with Jesus at that point. And so you can see that there's this straight off the bat, there's this purposeful encounter, a privileged position for the disciples and then there's this kind of incidental encounter like Jesus happens to walk past this guy um, and he is considered the, 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 the lowest of low in that cultural uh, cultural standard, but yet Jesus upends all of that. But their beginning, their approach to this idea of listening, I think is hindered for the disciples by their position, maybe even by their education. And this man who's sitting on the side of the road just simply knows that he is in need of a saviour. I'm always amazed at people, uh, Richard Dawkins comes to mind, the famous atheist, someone who has read the Bible and studied the Bible, yet still is so blind to the truth that the Bible, uh, the Bible captures and, and, and presents. And I'm always amazed by that. And I believe it comes down to this. I believe it comes down to this sense of, of position. If we approach the things of God from a place of, 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 of pride and of wanting to uh, you know, just understand it on an intellectual level and, and wanting to refute it and all those sorts of things, then, then I actually think our ability to understand it is significantly hindered. And we see that here. Um, and we see two different journeys of faith. 
the disciples engage with faith and they move towards suffering. Right, that's the invitation there in that first part that we've read, is that there's an invitation, hey, come with me to Jerusalem, I'm going to experience this, it's going to be horrible, and then ultimately I'm going to be risen from the dead, but they're like, I don't like this. So they go, his disciples, in the journey of faith to suffering, whereas the, uh, the, the blind man goes from, from suffering to faith to healing. And so they're both engaging in a journey of faith. They're both engaging with Jesus, yet in that moment, in that particular conversation, there's, there's quite varied uh, journeys that they're both going on. And if you look at it, I go, man, the, the gentleman on the side of the road, he, he's actually in the more privileged position. While he might be, uh, while he might be, might be crippled physically, in some way, he's spiritually vibrant. He can see things that these men cannot see. And as, as Christians in the Western world, we've got to realise that we sit in a privileged position and I don't know how beneficial, beneficial that is to us really engaging with God on a really deep level. When we look around the world and we talk about the persecuted church and how, how quickly that grows... We're amazed at the faith of people who, who have very little and who face the possibility of, of persecution or death on a daily basis. Yet the church thrives. Yet in the Western church, the church is in decline. So in, in our desire to listen to God, to truly hear God, we've got to begin by understanding that our privileged position may not actually be that privileged. And just to, just to look at it, consider it. Because moving from privilege to a place of, of sacrifice where we've got to count the cost hurts. Most of us, we would say yes to a faith outcome that led to healing, that led to, to us being able to see and thrive. But the invitation also, even for this blind man, was actually to come and to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. So we're willing to sign up for the healing, but, but we, we, we struggle with the, 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 um, the being mocked, the treated shamefully, the being spat on, as Jesus talks about here. So we're going to consider our position. We've got to consider our need. You know, Jesus says, I didn't come for those who think they are healthy, but for those who know they are sick. We see here someone, uh, we see here the disciples who are spiritually blind and physically privileged Verse uh, in verse 35 where it says, that where we see that the blind beggar is physically blind but spiritually privileged. Matthew uh, chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says, God blesses those who are poor and realise their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those, in, down in verse 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. You see, God loves the persistence, the persistent heart. God loves a heart that, that cries out and recognises our need for Him. We could have all the wealth in the world, yet we still need Him. 
Hence why he says to the rich young ruler, it's harder for a rich man to come to the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. It's because of a situation that happens with our heart when we're able to meet all of our needs. When we're able to meet our health needs, we're able to meet our our financial needs, and we're able to meet the needs of, of our families in our own strength, supposedly, our heart begins to grow hard towards a God who says, no, I actually want to meet all of your needs. And so our, our lack of need, our perceived lack of need, I think really impacts our ability to listen well to God. In verse 40, it says, he only shouted louder. So they told him to be quiet and he only shouted louder. And his persistence paid off. And for some of you here today, all you need is to be encouraged to continue that persistent cry to your Heavenly Father. As you cry out, as you pray for things that you've been praying for day after day, year after year. My friend Ben, who came and visited with us yesterday, I I found a, a journal entry when I was looking through something from about 10 years ago where I wrote this whole thing praying for him. And at the beginning of every journey, journal in every year, his name's in the beginning, where my prayer list for, for someone who I want to see come to faith. Those persistent prayers pay off. We have to keep crying out, shouting out, shouting louder. The beggar saw who Jesus was when his closest friends didn't. And the reality is that sometimes those who lack see better than those who have. So we've recognised our position, we've recognised our need, and then it moves to this place of conviction. Bruce Larson says like this, he says, only as they began to accept his death Only as they began to accept his death could they understand the meaning of his life. Only as they began to accept his death could they understand the meaning of his life. You see, they wanted the package without the sacrifice. We want life without death. This morning, my heart is heavy for someone who has passed away prematurely. We don't want that, but we know that that is part of this life we live in. But for the disciples, there was this realisation that needed to happen. And Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. But then he says, many are not saints and therefore do not persevere. Nominal saints exhibit no final perseverance. You see, identification with God's kingdom is not possible without identification first with his suffering, but also his resurrection. So what we don't want to do is walk through life with our heads down going, I've just got to suffer. I've just got to suffer because the other side is victory. I love the image Jonathan shared at Christmas of that sort of where in that, that the suns, we can see the sun coming up, but it's not quite up yet. That's this time that we're in, there's still darkness but God is present, he's working 
and the day is coming and he'll return, he'll reconcile everything to himself. And Revelation 21 says there'll be no more tears or pain or death or sorrow. All those things will be gone forever. God's home will be amongst his people. And we hold to that glorious hope for the future while recognising in this moment there's still going to be some death, there's going to be some pain, there's going to be some sorrow and some sickness, there's going to be tears. But we hold to that hope because that is the promise. And so our conviction allows us not just to engage with and recognise the suffering, but also to celebrate and walk with great anticipation of the victory. What a beautiful invitation, what a holy invitation it is. You know, throughout history, the problem has been when, when, um, when people have, have gone out to uh, evangelise or to tell people about Christ, is they've gone out with this desire often, not always, but often, uh, to, 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 to share something without the willingness to suffer for it, without the willingness uh, to really understand the place of both the cross and the resurrection, not just as a theology, but actually as a way of life, as an outworking of who God in their life. Because we can talk about it as a theology. We can talk about Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, translated, rose again, and, and what all that means. We can talk about that, but have we had a manifestation of that in our life as the people of God? You know, so many Christians kind of go on the, the crusade without the cross, the crusade without the resurrection. And what I want to say to you guys is that your church, this church is a church with the cross and the resurrection at the centre. And I don't just say that because it's meant to be that way and so I should say that. I say that because even in the last couple of weeks that I've been here and as I've engaged with people, I see it. I shared it last time I spoke. I've seen it over 20 years of doing ministry in this district, the, the, the fruit of, of, of the, 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 the kingdom of God that flows out of this place. And so I want to affirm that and I, want to, I just want to say, I want to say thank you for, for, for those of you who have just faithfully served our King in this community. And I want to encourage you not to take that for granted because we see many stories of faith, many communities of faith, expressions of faith that have this incredible legacy of Christ at the centre, of the cross at the centre, of the resurrection at the centre, as those things are a manifestation out of the people, but then as generations pass, it begins to shift. Compromise begins to slip in. And as you look around, the thing that's going to keep the cross and the resurrection at the centre of this church, that's going to continue to build on the wonderful legacy that this church has, if you look around at the people in the seats around you, it is each and every one of you choosing in the midst of the chaos and the crowd to listen to God, to listen to the one who speaks truth and life. It's about each of us listening in, uh, in pursuing God's truth through his word, pursuing God's truth through, through times of just sitting before him silently. You know, Philippians 4, bringing our, our worries and our concerns to him so that we can experience the peace of God that goes with understanding. That becomes a manifestation in this place that goes out into the community. That's what carries that on for generations and generations to come. This is a church that has a cross and the resurrection at the centre. 
You understand the significance of the atonement of what Jesus did on that cross and why. Not just as a theology, but as, as something that's lived out. One of the things I'd encourage you guys to do as well is take the things that are said from the pulpit. Take them into your, your, your quiet time the next day. Open the word. Take your notes. Wrestle with it. Come back and ask Jonathan and Chris and others questions. Ask them for clarifications. Challenge them and they might challenge you back. Like, like wrestle with these truths. And if you're in leadership in different parts of the church, I would encourage you to take the things that you've wrestled with that have come from this pulpit and you've wrestled with them in your own time before God and then take them and, and, and understand the responsibility you have to lead whatever it is you lead from that same heart. Let's not have sermons that are preached that make us feel good in, in a moment, but let's allow them to actually integrate into the DNA of who you are as a church. You know, if you're leading departments or ministries, sit and, and, and go and sit with, with the pastor and say, hey, I loved what you said on Sunday. Help me to lead these people in that. And there's, this church will continue to be an incredible place where people come and understand the goodness and the grace of God. Paul's words in, in Romans 9 always mess with me. He says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Some translation says, I would, I would be damned if it meant that someone would come to know Christ. You see, Paul understood somehow at the nature, at the core of, of who God is, a costly sacrifice is required. Now, thank God that for Paul's sake and for ours, that's, that's not a truth we have to live in. There's enough grace for all of us. But I think he understood something that, that, that we struggle to see. I think he understood something in the sense that fear often blinds us, fear of death can blind us. Fear of uh, being misunderstood can blind us to what God wants to do. But as Jesus said, we can face death unafraid. So we listen by understanding our position. We listen by understanding um, our... Um, Someone? <laughs> Sorry. By understanding our, our need and then ultimately by understanding our conviction and understanding what it is that God is doing through us and through his people, even if there is a cost. So I often wonder what happened to someone like the beggar. We know what happened to the disciples. We know that the disciples continued to fight this. We know that, you know, a sword was drawn in the Garden of Gethsemane and a Roman ear was cut off. We know that, um, that there was, that, that we know that Peter said, stood and defied Christ and said, this one will never let this happen. And, and Jesus said those words, get behind me, Satan. We know that there was this whole journey towards them understanding what it meant for Christ to suffer. But we also know that on the other side of the resurrection, we know that their hearts began to burn. 
We know that the, the story of the early church was not, uh, was not forged by the people we see in this story, but those who had experienced not just the suffering of Christ, but his resurrection and the infilling of his Holy Spirit. That would begun this incredible journey that we know as the early church, the, the, the inheritance we have from those people who faithfully uh, forged that, those, the, the church and spread the word. We don't know what happened to the beggar. We know that he began to follow Jesus. We know that he praised God. We know that other, others praised God because of him. And I wonder later in life, as, as he was sitting there, if he, if he would have considered, I wish maybe I had have asked Jesus something else when he said, what do you need? Maybe my sight wasn't the most important thing in that moment. Maybe he regretted it. Maybe he didn't. But what we do know is that Jesus met him where he was at. He followed Jesus and worship broke out. Jesus honoured the persistence of his prayers. And he'll do that for us. Be persistent in our prayers, in our pursuit of him. God has a grace for our ignorance, for our wrong expectations, for our lack of pride, sorry, our lack of faith, for our pride. He has grace for that. This doesn't have to be the end of the story. So this morning as we continue to worship, my encouragement for you is to consider what it means to be a person who leans into the King, who lends the King their ear, who embraces the simple spiritual truth that the beggar understood. Seek and you will find. Faith leads to restoration. And a faith that sees Jesus possesses an insight that the world cannot recognise. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And we ask in this moment, God, that you would open our eyes to the amazing possibilities of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to listen. God, I pray that you would show us our position, God, that you would make us aware of our need. God, that we'd be men and women of conviction. And Lord, I pray over Windsor District Baptist Church right now, God, that this would be a place where you are at the centre, where you crucified and risen, the resurrected Christ would be at the centre of this church, God. Not as a theological statement, God, but as an outworking of you alive in your people in this place. So we just pray, God, that you would equip them to continue to grow, continue to lean in, to hear you, to understand you and to allow that to be lived out through this amazing community, God. So we trust you with our hearts. We trust you with our deepest prayers, with our most persistent prayers. And we thank you, God, that in you is restoration. And even though we will face hardship and we'll face different times of, of difficulty, God, that you are with us. And we hold to a glorious hope for the future, God. In Jesus' name, amen.